Welcome back to another episode of Comic Book Storylines. I'm Brian Sorensen, also known as Bri the Comic Book Guy. Thank you for tuning in this week as we continue our discussion on the Age of Apocalypse. We've been introduced to the majority of the characters that are in play. You've got to see good guys be bad here and bad guys be good here. Characters in the X-Universe and even going into the mainstream Marvel Universe show up in uh, all over the place during the story as it progressed. This week, we are going to be covering the issue twos of the main plot titles. Magneto has a plan to maybe get everything back the way things were, but he needs to have someone verify it's all wrong and get some things in place to make it all happen. So this week, we are going to be discussing Astonishing X-Men number two, Amazing X-Men number two, Factor X number two, Gambit and the Externals number two, Generation Next number two, Weapon X number two, Excalibur number two, and X-Man two. Now keep in mind this is a huge story, and now after today, we are only halfway through. As always, I'm be posting pictures and links on my Instagram, so just follow at Bry the Comic Book Guy. Any questions you want me to go further into about the Age of Apocalypse, you can email me Bry the Comic Book Guy at gmail.com. So why don't we get into it now? The first issues had a little bit of order to them. Now that we are going into the main storyline and everything, a lot of these uh, tie into each other. You see a little bit here and there discussions like they'll say, hey, this go check out this issue for that going on. So everything's going on about the same time. So we're going to start out Astonishing X-Men number two. Now Rogue's team is in Chicago. Her team went to go stop what's called the Cullings or the mass extinction of humans in the city from the bad guy Holocaust. He's one of Apocalypse's four horsemen. So it's Rogue, uh, Sunfire, Blink, you've got uh, uh, Changeling or Morph in this time frame, and Sabretooth and Wildchild. So the X-Men are there, they're trying to corral all the humans away. Uh, Sunfire has some history with Holocaust, so he's kind of like a little unstable when it comes to dealing with Holocaust. So he flies in the air and starts blowing up all these uh, machines that they have to calculate how many people are in the area. So he starts blowing through them, but the debris is landing on all the humans. So the X-Men are trying to protect all the humans, but they're not having that much success because he's blowing things up and debris is landing all over the place. So Rogue flies up, absorbs his power a little bit to get him the power down. They both crash down onto Earth, and you see that Rogue gets some memories from from Sunfire, and he's quite a bit different from the Sunfire that's on the X-Men in the main universe. Uh, during the initial phases of the Age of Apocalypse, Apocalypse called Japan, and the character Nemesis, who ends up being Holocaust, pinned him down and Apocalypse uh, did something to him where he kind of helped boil him alive. And Sunfire in this universe, he's all on fire because of things that Apocalypse has done to him. So he blames Holocaust for his condition. So that's kind of why things are the way they are. They kind of have this little moment where he's like, curse you, Rogue. You had no right to do this. This was my shame, my failure. Rogue's like, this was years ago. We need to get this done. Now that I know what's going on, we need to, you know, just put it to an end. Then we flash over to the mansion where the X-Men's base is. Magneto is there, and Bishop starts yelling at him, like, why are you hiding while all your X-Men are all over the planet? You're supposed to be their leader. Then you see him holding his sleeping son, Charles. Now, Bishop kind of takes a step back and everything. Magneto's like, you don't have any kids, do you? He's like, no. And Magneto's saying, you know, I didn't believe you did, knowing what it's like to have a child. Now, if this is going to be the last time, uh, the last night that I hold him, let me spend time with my son. You're like, ooh, 
Okay, that's a little touching moment there for Magneto. So Bishop walks away. So then we go to Apocalypse's tower in New York, in Manhattan, and he's getting really mad because he's seeing on the screen that Quicksilver's team, which will cover an amazing X-Men number two, is evacuating humans from the coast of Maine, and his people aren't doing the job that they were supposed to be doing. But if you remember in Astonishing X-Men 1, the character Rex, one of his henchmen, said there was a tracer on Blink's portal when they opened it, and he's like, have you traced where they're supposed to be? So this is the moment where they do trace where it is, and they show him on screen that it's the mansion of a long-dead Charles Xavier, and Apocalypse readies his crew because he's going to take Magneto down personally, and he's saying they've been hiding practically right underneath my nose the whole time. So we're eventually going to see a big showdown between Apocalypse and Magneto in these books. The flashback to Chicago, see Sabretooth and Wildchild over the city kind of looking down. Blink is with them too. Now, Blink has this power where she can, like, take her powers and make anybody teleport to different locations just by thinking about it. You know, she has this, like, spatial power or whatever. Now, Sabretooth knows this, and he wants her to teleport him right to where Holocaust is so he can take him on and the rest of the X-Men can help with the evacuation. Rogue definitely doesn't want want them to do this, so... They're getting ready to a little tango there, but then Blink kind of uh, blinks and phases Rogue till she's unconscious for like a fraction of a second so she can actually help Creed, uh, Creed Mr. Uh, Mr. Creed as she calls him, Sabretooth. Now, they had this little Bond thing where like uh, she was uh, like his sidekick practically for some of the X-Men. She, you know, he was somebody that she really looked up to, which is something totally different in the Age of Apocalypse because Sabretooth is just the baddest of the bad in the main universe. So she does blink him instantly to where he is. And then you find out that Holocaust isn't in Chicago. He's in Indianapolis. So he was quite a bit of ways away. So they they get to Indianapolis, and they end up being right next to Holocaust. And back in the X-Men Chronicles issue one phase, uh, Sabretooth was one of the bad guys initially. He was one of the horsemen that helped get started everything. So Holocaust and... Sabretooth used to be like colleagues for a little bit and they kind of have a little bit of banter back and forth and Sabretooth is like you know you don't have the right to call me by my first name anymore because he gets familiar with him and calls him Victor then he reveals something very interesting like he's getting all this genetic material capturing all these humans because they go for the genetic raw material for their infinite processing plant the infinites are basically their foot soldiers that are bred by the beast and Sabretooth is like, wait a minute. So the processing plant that views all of your guys is right up the road. And he goes, yes, you're going to be taking that information to your grave. So Wildchild gets that. Now, Wildchild is just like on the fringe of humanity. He's been, you know, genetically modified and everything like that. So he doesn't really talk much, but he understands things. So Sabretooth lets him free and says, okay, go find Rogue and the others. I'll cover you. So Holocaust tries blasting Wildchild, but he's unsuccessful. Sabretooth kind of covers him, gets him in the way. So it's a huge battle between Sabretooth and Holocaust. Uh, they go blow for blow, but clearly uh, Sabretooth is out of his league at the moment. Um, and Holocaust is pretty strong, especially with his containment suit. And, Magne- and Magneto had been the one, as revealed right now, because uh, Holocaust says, I used to be content being just nemesis until Magneto felt it necessary to ruin me as revenge for some imagined slight. So uh, Sabretooth goes, imagine slight, you killed his daughter. 
So now you see that Magneto did get revenge on Nemesis for making him wear that armor. So that's where the armor comes from. In the end of the battle, Sabretooth just goes nuts and rips off part of the head of the containment unit, making like the matter from Holocaust just fly out into the air because he looks like he's like this gaseous sort of being right now. So Sabretooth releases that. The, the rest of the containment unit falls to the ground and Sabretooth passes out. But then the gaseous bubbles and everything all appear back in the containment unit, and the last page says, Nice try, Victor. So in still, he's still calling Hol- uh, Sabretooth by his name. And we go to Amazing X-Men 2, where we see Quicksilver's team helping with the evacuation. But before the evacuation can happen, they ran into the Brotherhood, who messed with the control disc that was supposed to mask the X-Men from the Sentinels to help them. So there was a little bit of a battle, and we see two of the Brotherhood split off. It's uh, Box and what uh, what is in the main continuity. It's Copycat, who ends up being Vanessa, Deadpool's girlfriend. So they're both putting cloaks on and running into the crowd because they've got some plan to be kind of shuffled in with the humans to get across into Europe. Quicksilver tries to catch up to him, and he runs into Vanessa, but she turns around and she's got the face of Scarlet Witch, Wanda. So the other guy, Box, who's like mostly mechanical, knocks him unconscious for like a brief moment. But as Copycat's getting ready to knock Quicksilver out, uh, Dazzler shoots down the blade and everything. And she's like, you know, get away from him. What are you doing? And Box takes a sentinel, reconfigures it, and he starts attacking Dazzler while they get back into the crowd. So then they've pretty much lost them. So as the sentinel's getting ready to take down Exodus, Dazzler, and Quicksilver... Storm comes in with her lightning and ends up kind of blocking every one of the Sentinels and kind of just like leaving them all in place due to some electromagnetic storm. Now, Banshee kind of followed where the Brotherhood said that there was uh, some children in another part of the area. So uh, Banshee kind of flies off on his own and finds a, a ship and he sees that one of the other horsemen, Abyss, he's got like this portal power. It's kind of like Nightcrawlers, but he's like the, this unraveled being. He's not doesn't have full substance to him. He's just like this coiled up guy looking thing that has like this portal in the middle of his chest. Now he tells Banshee, I don't want you. I want the son of Magneto. And he kind of opens up his chest and there's a kid in there. And he says, you want this kid back? Bring me Quicksilver. So Banshee runs and goes to the scene of where the Sentinels are and everything. And he tells Quicksilver that he's holding a child and he's that way. So Storm, who's kind of have a relationship with Quicksilver, they both go off and they find that shuttle where the kid was. So Quicksilver and Storm quickly run in. The kid is unabsorbed. He's kind of just like sitting there kind of catatonic right now. But then he's pretty much the bait for the trap and Abyss kind of uncoils himself and unravels and make his appearance and everything and he's attacking quicksilver as you know he's a horseman so he's trying to get the x-men to to not do what they're doing so he's trying to fight quicksilver but quicksilver kind of gains an edge on him with his super speed and everything and, and knocks him for a loop and he ends up absorbing himself back into his dimensional void so to speak. So you see this portal open up and his body go in there because Quicksilver kind of does a number on him. So Quicksilver and Storm bring the kid back to the area where the Sentinels are starting to evacuate all the kids. And we see why that is. The X-Men ended up helping them. The uh, harmonics from Storm's uh, uh, lightning 
and the X-Men's powers, they all kind of came in sync where the Sentinels had like this logic bind where their primary programming is hunting mutants and preventing humans from coming into harm. So the Sentinels basically stopped what they're doing and let the X-Men reprogram them for what they wanted to do. So then the X-Men were successful in getting the humans to evacuate. And while that's going on in New York City, one of Angel's people from Haven that we saw in X-Men Alpha is being interrogated by Apocalypse's guys. And it's also got Sebastian Shaw there, who we saw looking over Gambit and Angel talking, where they're talking about where is the Magneto. Now, this is just before they find out where he is. They're like, you know what? We already know he resides in the home of Charles Xavier, some dead mutant whose name he fights in. You know, they're they're looking for more information like his defenses and everything. So they're basically mind probing her to find out what she knows. But she doesn't know anything. So they're like, enough. We're going to take the battle right to him. We get into Factor X number two. We see on the cover, it's going to be interesting, Cyclops versus Havoc. And a familiar green-haired mutant is also there as well. And we see the uh, pits, the genetic pits that Mr. Sinister has with all these mutants with low-level mutant powers that Beast kind of stores there. And we see a shadowy figure from the perspective of the green-haired mutant who ends up being Lorna Dane Polaris. And she sees who she thinks is Magneto, and she calls him their father and he's leading away a couple of mutants to help them escape and she says don't you recognize me i'm your daughter and like there's been moments in the regular x-men continuity where they have believed that she was his daughter or whatnot but nothing nothing is solid then we see uh, havoc and cyclops going to report to apocalypse that they found out that sinister trashed his lab blew up that big state that big statue of apocalypse trying to de- dethrone him and everything and he just starts having a fit, but Cyclops doesn't back down because he's, you know, just like this stoic guy. And he doesn't back down, but Havoc kind of recoils and everything. But then Apocalypse notices that. And he goes, unlike your brother, you don't recoil from my rage. You stand your ground. No wonder Mr. Sinister spoke so very highly of you. Perhaps in the conflict to come, you will take your mentor's place and be a horseman. Now, Havoc really hates that. He's always jealous in this time of Cyclops. So he's like, whatever you will... And he's like, there'll be trials, I'll be watching. And Havoc's like, you can count on me to keep going. All right, enough, get out of here. So then they're riding their motorcycles on what used to be the New Jersey Turnpike. And Alex is basically saying, you know, bad enough, you're always Sinister's favorite. Now you're ranking above uh, with uh, with uh, Apocalypse. Everything's being handed to you on a silver platter. So he's basically telling him he's really jealous. He's like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want all this. I do what is important. And, you know, Havoc's like, how can you not want all the power and prestige that all the rest of the horsemen get? And he's just like, we need to figure out who, what happened with last night's breakout. You're the head of the security. We need to figure out what's going on. And so they go to their central security tower where they have those two guys that are the rooks. It's Cannonball, who used to be, who in the main continuity is in X-Force and was New Mutants, and his sister. And they're basically telling, uh, telling them, you know, you guys are in control here. Why would you get out? And then they show security footage. And it has to be somebody that has a special implant that safeguards against all of the defenses that they have for people getting out. He's also got a a scrambler because you can't see their face on the screen. So they get ready to interrogate the green-haired lady that they saw on the screen who they think saw everybody. So they bring her to the beast because she's still got like a bit of her magnetic flair. She tries to attack him but doesn't really get successful. So they bring her to the beast and you kind of get a little backstory on why Polaris is the way she is. 
Her parents weren't mutants, and they died amongst a culling you know, back in the early days of the Age of Apocalypse, which kind of mentally unbalanced her, and her powers started to develop. But at some point before Rogue met Magneto, Rogue absorbed her magnetic powers, leaving her kind of like a lower-class mutant, but still has some of the powers. So that's where you figure out and find out that Rogue can fly and have her, music, her magnetic powers as well. So they don't learn much from her. And then we go to Cyclops investigating the bomb site where Sinister blew up the tower. And Angel comes over and he's like, you know, things are going to happen. You should probably pick a side here. And Cyclops kind of just kind of walks away. Then we go over to Havoc, Alex, who's in Haven. And he's with Warren's singer, the red-headed lady Scarlet. And it turns out that they're having kind of an affair, but it's really secret because she's human and he isn't, and it, that's illegal in the Age of Apocalypse. And she gets a phone call and she starts talking to whoever's on the phone. And she's saying, they picked up karma from the club. I need my ticket out of here. They can't learn I'm working for the Human High Council. So she's like, oh, she's with Havoc, and he doesn't know that she's double dealing there. Interesting. So we go back to Beast Lab. He's trying to get all this information out of Polaris, but Cyclops stops her. He says, you need to quit all this genetic manipulation and these experiments. Take her back to the, the pens with security. And Beast just is arguing his way, but Cyclops kind of blows up one of his machines. said, I'm the ranking prelate. Challenge me again, and I'll shut you down permanently. And then we see Polaris kind of look up as she's kind of conscious. She looks up and says, it's you. And you look at Cyclops, and from her perspective, it's Magneto. She's like, wait a minute. Was it Cyclops doing this the whole time? So... That night, a shadowy figure comes and gets Polaris out, brings her to the edge of where their security is. But unbeknownst to that figure, Northstar and Aurora, who are also on the Mutant Elite, were uh, changed their patrol that night, so they ended up being there when they weren't supposed to be. So that figure takes out both of those guys, and Havoc is kind of right behind him going, hmm, what's going on here? We go to the edge of the Hudson River, where that shadowy figure brings Polaris to a human, Valerie Cooper when the main continuity is a government liaison for all the, everybody that's X. The cloaked figure takes off his cloak, and it's Cyclops. And Havoc gets him on camera, and he goes, Yes, I've got you this time. Now, he's definitely going to use that information. Then we go to Gambit and the Externals, number two. Now, at the end of the first issue, they were teleported by Lilla Cheney to the far side of the galaxy. Now, this issue picks up. They end up in the Shi'ar Empire on the Shi'ar homeworld. But they're facing the uh, Shi'ar Imperium and the Imperial Guard. Now, in the regular X-Men continuity, these guys are allies. But since there was no dealings up until now, they're like, these people are here. So they're definitely bad guys. So Gambit and his buddies and the externals are followed by the uh, prelate Richter, who just happened to go through the portal with them. But they're like, nope, we're not with him. So they start running and take off. Now the Imperial Guard starts chasing him, but Richter says, I surrender. And they have a brief exchange because the Imperial Guard, they're aliens, but they're super-powered aliens, and they take off running, and they end up going into this jungle to escape. But they don't know anything about being in outer space because at this time, you know, none of the X-Men had been in space because things hadn't worked out the way they were. So the uh, forest ends up kind of hiding them by swallowing them up while the Imperial Guard is trying to find them. But uh, it ends up that the uh, plants are on the good guy's side, and it's the character Deathbird, who in the regular continuity is a bad guy, but she appears to be a good guy right here. 
And you, it turns out that they're kind of like the alien underground. So back at the Imperial Palace, the Imperial Guard takes Richter and they scan him. He's telling the truth. He's an officer on their world and uh, things of that nature. And you find out that their emperor foresaw spies and found out that there is something going on with that Emkron crystal. So things are definitely happening the way that everybody is expecting them to. But Richter says he has a tracking device on one of the externals so he can follow them. And so we, he's like, you know what? I'm going to follow him, but that guy have to take them back. They're not going to follow you. So we uh, go back to Gambit and the externals. Everybody's explaining what's going on. You find out that Lalandra, who was uh, uh, Professor Xavier's lady, uh, was killed a long time ago with uh, his older sister. And it's like... It's kind of like a warped reality of what happened in the comics where instead of Lalandra winning the day, her brother, who took over the Emkron crystal, managed to keep taking on the Emkron crystal. So nobody sees the crystal, so nobody's controlling it, so things don't happen the way they do. So that crystal is going bonkers. So this, what's going to happen in this reality is what happened in the previous reality, too. So the Imperial Guard and Richter show up, and they, uh, they take a battle to him and everything, and they're fighting, and all of a sudden, something blinks. That's the Emkron crystal effect. Now, since they're in outer space and really close to where the Emkron crystal is, it's affecting where they are first. So some of the Imperial Guards start to crystallize, and Gambit and the externals are trying to run away from it. And they end up being teleported just before the entire planet crystallized. And then they end up on the ship of the Starjammers. That's Deathbird and the rest of the Starjammers that were in the main continuity, part of Corsair's crew, who we met in the one-shot, and it's the Starjammers that are saving the day. And they uh, blast off into space before that uh, planet can become totally crystallized. And he goes, you know, this is the crystal uh, we need. You need to take us to it. And Deathbird goes, the Emkron is more than mere crystal. It's the nexus of all realities. And like, okay, we need to steal this. Let's go get it. And then we get to Generation Next, number two where the young X-Men are going after Ileana Rasputin. And we start out the issue with Ileana underground in this containment area underneath this huge volcano, and she's kind of giving hope to, you know, somebody will one day rescue us and things like that. And we see a shadowy little troll figure that is the nemesis of these books. We'll end up calling him Sugar Man. We go to outside of this volcano where there's... Uh, uh, like some security guys getting ready to go party, but it ends up being uh, Generation Next in disguise trying to get like a key or like a password or whatever to get into that place. So they end up uh, blowing up those guys and stealing their outfits to try and get into the core. And you see this massive whole page thing, and it's a huge thing that stands over. Like it's basically an entire core, like this big energy plant that's the size of Seattle. Like, it stands on where Seattle used to be. And it's this just huge thing. So Colossus and Shadowcat are like, are you kidding me? We need to break into that. What are you kidding me? We're not going to be able to do that. Now, this entire run, Colossus only sees that he needs to get his sister out. So that's his only focus. Everybody can go crap themselves. This is what he has to do. So he has lots of arguments with everybody saying, you know, this is what we need to do. And we see the uh, guy that's in charge of this place... Uh, Let's see what his name is. His name is Quintess, as we call him. So some of the Generation Next kind of infiltrate that guy. They take him out. Like I've said, the Generation Next issues are 
the darkest of all the titles. And they end up killing that guy and trying to take his form so that way they can free freely walk through that core and try and find Ileana. It's kind of like their infiltration, so to speak. So you've got uh, the character Husk, who's transformed herself into a different kind of person so she doesn't look mutant-like. And she's got a couple other of the guys there that are helping. One of them is like this gaseous state kind of guy, and he was hiding in a bottle of liquor until they could get rid of that guy. So that guy uh, shapes his form so that Husk can be the head and he could be the rest of the body. And they kind of just walk right in to the to the area, and they're like, hey, anything to report? What's going on here? And we see in the line of people that are working that the rest of Generation X is getting ready to infiltrate as workers. So at the last minute, you see Ileana going, you know what? I think we're going to be all right. And she's talking to a little girl that's in there, too, giving, giving in to hope. So you're kind of wondering as a reader, does she sense what things are happening and, and are things going to get better? And it, trust me, it goes downhill from there. Then we get into Weapon X number two. We see Logan and Jean. They're on the other end of the human evacuation. The Sentinels have come to the shores of Europe. They're, uh, they're processing all these humans. And uh, Wolverine woke up and Jean was trying to help all the kids out because she has like this thing for kids. So uh, you see some of the infiltrators. There's a couple of guys that are saying... You know, are, you're not carrying any tags, are you? We're supposed to get through this thing. And they're like whispering, you know, shut up. Hey, is that Weapon X over there? Oh, great. So then the, those three guys are like, you know, they're supposed to be a distraction for us to get through here. And then the distraction comes. It's the two characters, Box and Copycat, from Amazing X-Men 2. This was their plan. They got over with the humans and they caused a distraction for another one of Apocalypse's teams to be cover, basically, for them. So they start blasting through some humans, but they weren't counting on Jean Grey and Weapon X being there. So they go full-fledged Berserker Rage, and they end up taking out Copycat and Box instantaneously. So Jean is having some second thoughts about all this because they also heard in Weapon X 1 that there's going to be this doomsday attack against America, which she can't put her head behind, and she can't stand by while that happens because she wants to go back and warn everybody. Logan doesn't want her to do that. So he's talking with a couple of the Human High Council members, and all of a sudden, there's an explosion. It's that Apocalypse team that was given cover. Now, they found out about the advance of the uh, humans, so they try and blow up one of the control ships. Uh, Logan jumps out of a window of one of the big control ships, and he goes through, and he lands on the deck where those guys are chase- are, are at. But we learn that it's uh, Pierce. He's uh, If you've seen the Logan movie... Uh, he was, uh, Donald Pierce was in that. He's one of the Reavers. And in this time, he's one of Apocalypse's henchmen. He's genetically modified, just like the other guys. But uh, he's, you know, still a bad guy in this. So Logan comes all through, and he tears through those guys pretty pretty quickly. Uh, there's still an explosion, and one of the blimps that has the uh, guidance system for all of this to happen so that the humans can guide safely through to America gets blown up and it crashes to the surface. Now, the Human High Council is up uh, in one of the other control ships, and they look down and they said, there's no way anybody can walk through that inferno. And then the inner monologue of Wolverine is kind of uh, what happens here, and he goes, I should have let myself burn, but then I hear a silink, and it's Jean saying goodbye. 
So he gets on a motorcycle and chases after Jean, who found a plane, and she's heading back. He knows why. He goes, I can't let you get back to the States and warn him what's coming. And she goes, if you've ever loved me, make it quick. And she kind of lifts her neck up like Wolverine's going to slice her. But he hesitates. He doesn't do it. She flies away, and he looks on as she just flies away. So Jean Grey is on her way to warn everybody. And we get to Excalibur, number two. This is where Nightcrawler is trying to get to... The Savage Land, or, or Avalon, where people have taken refuge, where it's a, a, a climate-controlled area, like a, a paradise for people to be saved from everybody. But at the end of the first issue, Destiny touched Switchback, and she saw everything burning. That's how the issue begins, with the, everybody seeing her vision, where everything is burning. And the, uh, the monk, Kane, Marco, uh, juggernaut, kind of helps her to her room so she can calm down and process everything. So the Madri, Apocalypse's henchmen, they go to the pier that uh, Nightcrawler was put on the uh, submarine. They're like, okay, where did he go? Which way did he go? We want all the information. So they, Madri pretty much just take out all those humans. They don't find out they're looking for, but they, they've pretty much stopped the area of where the humans are being ferried out. Now, things aren't going well for Nightcrawler because the old submarine, the uh, air filtration system, stopped working. So everybody is kind of gasping for air, and you see Nightcrawler um, kind of teleport out of the boat as they surface and everything. And the, uh, the humans that are rescuing them, they open the, the thing, and all the humans are okay. But then they send up a rescue flare and a pirate boat. You know, this day and age, you don't know who to trust and everything— uh, they rescue everybody, and they transfer everybody to that boat. The captain of that boat is Callisto, who is the uh, leader of the Morlocks in the main continuity. She's the captain of a boat here. She goes, don't worry, captain. We'll take care of your people and everything. So they transfer everybody over, and we see above the darker, the pale riders, the mask, and uh, the, this version of Deadpool are watching this happen, and we see Callisto going and putting all the people on her boat and the submarine going away. And they go, let's get into deeper water before we do what we need to do. And you see all the humans that were in the boat originally, they put all their possessions in bags because they're like, hey, this is how we avoid patrols. We say we're a shipwreck recovery vessel, and that's how we get by patrols. So they put everybody in these ballast tanks and like, let's get into deeper water. But Nightcrawler kind of realizes what's going on, and he hears some screaming. And what happened is Callisto took all of the money and let all of the humans into the sea, where she just ends up just like waves and waves of bodies are there. And Nightcrawler ends up, you know, being there, but they don't know it's him. They don't know he's there with them. Uh, he ends up teleporting, taking out all of her guys, and it's just him and Callisto. She pulls out a gun. She's getting ready to attack him. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mystique shows up and says, leave him alone, leave my son alone. That's how that issue ends. Like, mom's there to save the day. Then we go into the last issue we're going to be talking about this week. It's X-Man number two. Now, then the X-Man number one, Domino, who is Apocalypse's main assassin, is sent to go find Nate and uh, the telepath and bring him to Apocalypse. So she's on this massive hunt for him. We see her battling this mutant that kind of looks like Omega Red. It ends up being Omega Red just in this time frame. And she ends up uh, taking him out while trying to figure out where the location of X-Man is because they were in the general area. 
She also has the mutant hunter Caliban, who you've seen many times in the storylines that I've talked about, also trying to hunt him. So every time Nate uses his powers, they end up, he ends up leaving this ripple on the psychic plane where Apocalypse can track him, basically. He knows that that's happening and Forge, the character, is telling him that. Now, they're talking to that stranger at the end of the first issue, Essex, and he's uh, basically trying to get Nate and his new friend, the, uh, uh, the new lady that was uh, a mutant in the first issue. They call her Sonique. Uh, she's uh, Banshee's daughter in the main continuity, but she doesn't know that. So uh, Essex is trying to train Nate and kind of gauge what his power levels are to see because you find out eventually that Mr. Sinister created Nate, but he wants to kind of gauge where his power levels are. So he convinces Nate to try and concentrate enough to fly, use his powers, turn him inward to fly. Now, Forge has always been dead set against him using his powers in this way, and he ends up flying around a little bit and crashing down. So they end up stopping him going, you know what? Why are you doing this? They're leading him. You're leading him right to us. So Essex comes up with this plan to get into a factory where there's uh, unspeakable horrors happening. It's kind of like telling his little band of mutants where to go, and we're going to get into this facility. Now, one of the uh, cadre that is with Forge, his name's Brute, he kind of recognizes Essex but doesn't know where he is. So they end up going to this big processing plant where Essex leads everybody in. He knows the codes to get in and everything, and it ends up being a genetic processing plant uh, where they can really do some damage and take down people. And Nate ends up blowing everybody's cover by blasting through some infinites, and Forge is like, Essex, this is on your head. We weren't supposed to attack everything. So Nate ends up going and just blowing through everything, and uh, one of the Madre takes Nate down. Now Essex is looking at this like, Oh no, did, you know, did he fail? But he ends up pretending and knocks out everybody. Now one of the Madri is in the corner and he's kind of hiding. He goes, a telepath, one of extraordinary power. This must be the one everybody's looking for. So then they kind of fall back and go into this abandoned farmhouse. And Nate gets up while everybody's sleeping. He's like, uh, I saw some terrible things. I need some answers. If Forge and Essex are both are only willing to spoon feed me what my powers are like, let's try something. So he uses his powers with Sonic, and he goes back to the mansion, and he sees Magneto uh, playing with uh, Charles uh, after he woke up. It's kind of like events from uh, uh, Astonishing X-Men number two, and Charles is in front of him. He goes, look behind you. There's somebody there, and Magneto can't really see him, so he's like, who's there? What are you doing? And they teleport away, and he's just like, uh, what was that all about? And he goes, I think his name was Magneto. There, is, there isn't much of a bigger gun in the Resistance than him. So let's go talk to Forge. Now, Brute ends up going into a barn where Essex is, and he's like, I wasn't always dumb. I came from the pens. Somebody experimented on him. You look familiar. And we see something happen, and we hear Brute screaming. And right before the end of the issue, Domino and her crew comes in and goes, Hey, you know what? One of you is the telepath. What you gonna do when the law comes for you? Well, that's how we're gonna end issue two discussion. Uh, next week, we're gonna continue on with issue three, and we're also gonna see something. It's gonna be called X Universe Number One. We get to see who is left for the main Marvel characters. So that's gonna be an interesting discussion as well. So join us next week as we continue on with the Age of Apocalypse with the issue threes and find out what's going on with the rest of the Marvel universe. Until next week, thanks for listening.